You're listening to The Gamer Podcast. I'm Eric Schweitzer from the Gamer.com editing team, and this week we're talking about the Ariana Grande concert from Fortnite, a preview of the upcoming Tales of Arise, Hades on console, and the new levels in new Pokemon Snap. Let's go! Welcome to the show. I'm here today with Stacey Henley. Hello. And George Foster. Hello. Well, the biggest gaming event of the year happened this past weekend, uh, perhaps of the decade. I'm, of course, talking about the Ariana Grande concert in Fortnite. Stacey, what was it like just to be there? Yeah, I mean, I used to go to gigs all the time. So to um, just have that opportunity again, obviously with the pandemic, is brilliant. And Ariana Grande is one of my favorite artists ever. I think Fortnite is a really clever way to do, uh, you know, concerts and have these musicians put on much more personalized shows than they would in a, you know an arena that sells out seventy thousand, eighty thousand. So it was a it was it was really nice to have an event in gaming that was for everyone. You know, a lot of the events in gaming are the big kind of game tournaments that you kind of need to be good at to participate sure. in. Whereas you just need to have a machine that plays Fortnite, which is all the consoles, not exclusive to anything. Mm-hmm. So it's very easy to attend. I think that was what made it really special, that it really was for everyone. And gaming is so rarely for everyone. that Even leaving aside how much I love Ariana Grande and the concert and her music, that's just a really special thing, I think. Mm, I agree. George, what's your favorite Ariana Grande song? Uh... I honestly, this is going to make Stacey hate me, but I can't pick one off the top of my head. <laughs> I I am more here one because I really wanted to hear Stacey gush about it, and two because I actually play quite a lot of Fortnite. Um, I, I'm not like I wouldn't say I'm competitive with it or anything, but I do mess around in it quite a bit. Uh, and I actually saw Travis Scott's concert, which was the first one, and that was absolutely phenomenal. That was goosebumps and just proof that it can work. So. I'm more. I'm more here to hear Stacey. <laughs> so I've seen a few Fortnite live events. Mm. I saw J.J. Abrams was there showing. I think it must have been a Star Wars oh, trailer I remember that. or yeah. something. Yeah, it was uh, the third one, wasn't it? His third one. Yeah, the worst one. So I've seen, and Destiny Two does a lot of live events too. Well, not a lot, mm. but yes, I, I'm familiar with how they work. But um, Stacey, describe what the concert was actually like. I think um, what I loved about the concert was how dramatic it was. It, it obviously opened with three different songs that weren't by Ariana Grande. It was supposed to make you feel like you were at a festival, you had some like uh, Coachella or Glastonbury. I'm not entirely sure that bit worked, but once Ariana herself appeared, once Raindrop started, it took you through sections of her songs, um, really highly stylized, more than even a music video that just tend to have quite high production values, into this adventure through kind of time and space and Fortnite's whole very colorful very wacky very exciting world with ariana's songs and lyrics as the foundation for the different worlds that were being created um i think that was really really exciting to be able to experience the songs even when you go and see a show live live when they're actually singing live um you're still kind of just listening or swaying to the music, but you actually got to experience them in Fortnite, which I think was really special. Was she actually performing live? 
So she wasn't. The songs that they used, they were all album tracks, which is a real shame because I listen to a lot of pop music and look, I would be yeah. the first to say that a lot of the singers that I listen to are average singers who've been very well produced, who are very marketable. But Ariana Grande herself is incredibly talented. You know, she sings in whistle tone, she can hold a note, she she was kind of up there with Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston in terms of actually being able to sing so phenomenally and it, that was a shame that we didn't we didn't get her obviously she couldn't do live vocals it was five different shows and the logistics of that are, are terrible because you could join like 10 50 minutes afterwards and still see the show from the start but it would have been nice to have seen her do like live recorded to for her to have recorded a, a fortnight version of the song very clean very crisp no treatment on it just her voice that would have been really nice to see especially if they'd done Something like No Tears Left to Cry um, or One Last Time. But they, they didn't. They played more kind of poppy ones and it was our album track. So that was the one disappointment of it for me. Well, was she there in any capacity? Like, So her avatar was there um, dancing. And mm -hmm. I know from following Ariana Grande on various social media platforms that she herself attended the first show. Okay. So she obviously that obviously the thing was all recorded and organized beforehand, and then she was one of the players in the uh, audience, if you like, for the first, like eleven eleven o'clock on Friday night British time. She was in the audience watching that. I don't know if she did all five, but she was physically there for the for the first one. Gotcha. And is the the audience is like a, just a big mosh pit of people? Yeah. Yeah. You are. It was basically like parties. So you are in with like a handful of people. So like it started off, um, you were like in the rift itself and you are sliding down like a, a kind of candy coated goo slide. And there was three or four of you there. Um, and then you had to shoot like a, a weird doom monster in a biplane, which was quite cool. Although it was to Wolf Mother, it wasn't to Ariana Grande. There was gameplay. So, yeah. Yeah, there was, there was bits of gameplay before she came on in the like, Throughout the opening, it was Juice World, Sia, and Wolfmother were the three opening acts. They had one song each. Okay. And through all three of those, there was gameplay. And then once Ariana came on, there was like a bit where she was climbing some stairs and you had to follow her. Mm. And there was a bit where she danced in front of you. It's kind of like when you go to a cinema and you wear 3D glasses and it looks like the character's talking directly to you. Mm. But actually, they're talking directly to everybody in the audience because they've got the glasses on. Mm. So there was that kind of experience where sometimes you were part of the group. Just kind of watching Ariana, like there's like twenty of you trying to climb these stairs to reach the top, as she does. And soon as it was very personal, where she like grabs your hand and dances with you, and then she's actually doing that with like millions of other people at the same time, or thousands at least. George, how does that compare to what the Travis Scott one was like? Uh, so it's really weird to see how like, well, it's good actually to see how it's advanced. Uh, this idea of like a virtual concert. So the Travis Scott one was completely Travis Scott. Uh, and there wasn't really any like interactive gameplay elements. You just sort of existed in that area, if that makes sense. Like he's still jumping around. You still got the massive avatar of him. Uh, all the music is still playing, but there was no like mini games or anything like that. Uh, so I'm interested to see if that's where they go with it, where they have these concerts and then have like supporting acts that have mini games. I don't know, but I I kind of preferred it when it was just focused on the one artist. These live concerts are really fascinating to me because in, before Fortnite ever did something like this, the only way to get people to come back to a game that they've like lapsed or that they don't normally play was like 
a new season, right? With new content, a new map, something that is either permanent or long-term for the game that people can come check out. But these concerts fascinate me because you don't like Stacy, you don't have to be interested in the game itself at all to come log in and play the game. And I know that the way these companies track things like monthly active users, um, it doesn't really matter to them. If you're a Fortnite player, you jumping in to see that Ariana Grande concert is like contributing to their bottom line in some way, I assume. So I'm, I'm really fascinated to see how other games take an approach of how can we get people that don't play this game to come play this game, even if they're not going to play the game. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because I think the one thing I would say for Fortnite is all of the crossovers, because they're so shameless about kind of, we have Star Wars now, we have Street Fighter now, we have all these things that you love, they get away with it. Whereas I think when other games try to do, like when, when Call of Duty try to do, like, oh, we have Rambo, everyone was like, okay, that's right. weird. <laughs> um, I think because Fortnite is so upfront about we are here to do cross-promotion and bring in characters that you remember from your childhood or from movies that you're watching in the cinemas right now, Fortnite has a really unique platform to be able to add in these characters and get new people to come on board. You know, there's lots of characters in the game that I love that I've never played Fortnite for. You know, like, I'm, I'm a huge football fan or soccer fan, as the Americans would say, but none of the football players they've added to the game have ever made me say, oh, yeah, I want to play so I can play as, as Neymar or Marco Royce or Harry Kane, even though I love the sport and, and those players, especially, obviously, Kane for England. I think because Ariana Grande isn't just in the game, she's an experience that you want to be a part of. I think that's where Fortnite has really excelled and i think other games doing it will have a sense of well fortnite did it so we'll try it but if they can find that formula where it's this is an experience i want to be part of as opposed to here's a thing from pop culture i recognize and want to pay money to dress up as which is what the skins are i think if you can make an experience you'll attract players like me who's never really played fortnite but who was there I went to three of the different Ariana concerts because I really wanted to see it, even though it was the exact same every time. Because I'm yeah. such a huge fan of hers, I wanted to be there and experience it and notice all the... I didn't notice her dogs were in it until the third time I was there. So that was really interesting to be able to watch it over and over again and still have it be live. Yeah, and I, I think... Now when I think about other crossovers, I guess you would call them, in games... <laughs> It seems like they're all they've always served the same audience. Like for instance, when you think about Mortal Kombat and then they put, you know, the Terminator in Mortal Kombat. Okay, well that's a movie coming into video games, but that's that's really the same audience. Hmm. You know. Um but what Fortnite is doing is something completely different than than any other crossover in games. Even like Dead by Daylight bringing in uh, horror movie characters that's still sort of the same thing um and every other circumstance it's just video games themselves crossing over like shovel knight is in for honor this month or whatever mm. um but but yeah no no one has ever thought to just like cross promote in such an organic way of like okay what's just the most popular thing in the world ariana grande 
okay, then we should be doing that. Like we should be working with, with whatever it is that people like. Yeah. And I think what's so interesting about Ariana Grande is because she plays a lot of games, like she plays, she has a Pokemon tattoo. She plays Mario Kart. She has a song about Mario Kart. Mm. Um, she has a PlayStation five and she plays Sackboy. Like I think because she is into games, I think it sometimes be a, a case of, you can always tell them people who aren't into games have to do games. We've all seen right. the, the game awards when like Christopher Nolan has to pretend he knows what he's doing when he put that thing and then it's his best <laughs> audio design for Hades. Yes, in 10 Ks. We've all seen that. <laughs> so what I like about Ariana Grande was she clearly understood what Fortnite was as an entity. And that just makes it, even though it is so obviously, yeah, as you say, she's really popular. Let's ask her if she wants to be in our game because she's popular, we're popular, that'll make us both money. Yeah. I like the idea that she's kind of gone, yeah, that's that's a cool game that I want to be a part of, as opposed to how big will the check be for doing this? Mm. Sure. Yeah, I I definitely believe that. Concerts just seems like one avenue. We must. There must be so much more we're gonna see. Um, that this type of thing, I guess. Um, but I yeah, I don't know what that would be. We gotta wait for Fortnite to do it before we all realize what a good idea it is. I guess. Absolutely. I mean, Star Wars did the the trailer, didn't they? And yeah. that was kind of removed because it was just go to this place like a, like a drive-in movie you know, go to this place and watch this trailer on the screen. But I think in the future, I don't know how much gamers are into plays. You know, I, I don't know how much you're going to get, like, gamers going, oh, yes, a woman of no importance is coming up in Fortnite this week. But I think <laughs> some kind of, like, some kind of movies live-action theatre or something where it's not necessarily a... Um, a concert or a music, but it's where it's that kind of entertainment thing where it's a show, a spectacle, something with a storyline. Yeah. Bo Burnham will do his next special. Absolutely. Or Kevin Hart will do his next special in Fortnite. Yeah. Um, I will I won't be there for that one. <laughs> it's like you were saying, like it uh with the way we've all been in lockdown for so long, it's such a great opportunity to participate in some kind of a live event. Uh, so it's really good timing in that way. Um, but, you know, she's just like such a phenomenon. My partner's, this is so anecdotal, but my partner's nephew is like seven, right? And he's he comes over the other day and he's like, do you like Ariana Grande? Like him and all of his friends are obsessed. It's like, it's like they're Britney Spears, right? Um, so they, I'm sure they, they, they couldn't have picked a better person to partner with for this. No, I think she's a phenomenal choice. I mean, when the epic, uh, epic Apple court case came out, they revealed that she was one of the ones that was scheduled for last year. Mm. And the pandemic, it was supposed to be her and Lady Gaga, presumably for, um, what's that song, Rain On Me, which obviously mm. did the, the, the duet for Lady Gaga's album. Um, presumably, obviously, then they had contacts with Ariana Grande. They kept in communication with her. I imagine she was more enthusiastic to the whole thing on Lady Gaga because she plays games, she plays Fortnite, she's aware of it. As far as I know, Lady Gaga is not. So I think it's one of those things where you want that connection to to this superstar who is very plugged into what you do. I think it's what's yeah. so special for Fortnite that they found somebody who gets them and not just somebody who said, yes, you're a popular video game. People play video games. I want those people to listen to my music um, and to be fair to Travis Scott he is the same he streams himself playing Fortnite he's a huge Fortnite fan bigger than Ariana Grande so 
I think the artists they have chosen to be their big headline stars are people who've really got Fortnite, and that makes it seem a lot more authentic For rather sure. than just having somebody rock up and be in Fortnite. Like if it was Bruce Springsteen, I'd be like, I love Bruce Springsteen, but why is he in Fortnite? That's so strange. Right. Yeah. And I don't think maybe the age group would appreciate Bruce Springsteen. No, I don't think I don't think the the Fortniteers are under the bus. <laughs> Uh, I I think the most amazing thing to me uh, about the Ariana Grande concert is how much Fortnite is just nailing it, nailing something that's never been done before. I know they've done other concerts, but not only did they like come up with these, the this whole metaverse as they like to describe it, right? Mm-hmm. But that they're doing it right every time. Like uh, there's server hiccups and like people have to wait and they want to get in. They can't get in. That kind of stuff has happened, but just the presentation of it, the rollout, like every time they do one of these events, it's a huge success. And it's not just their first time. It's anyone's first time ever trying to do something like this. So it's super impressive to me. Yeah. I think, I think even the people who don't like Fortnite, you have to admit that Fortnite is very, very good at what Fortnite does. I think the reason a lot of people don't like Fortnite is because it's so successful. You know, if you don't like metaverse games, if you don't like all these crossovers, if you don't like the kind of games that are like Fortnite where they go, you know, we have Harley Quinn, we have Aloy from Horizon. If you don't like that kind of thing, you must hate Fortnite because Fortnite gets it, like you said, get it right every time. Yeah. And it's so unbelievably successful that there's no IP out of their reach. I mean, no. they've got they've got Marvel and DC, Disney, Star Wars. I'm the three of those are the same thing, but <laughs> but uh, yeah, every movie, any actor, every streamer, like there's nothing Fortnite can't get their hands on. No, I'm amazed there's not a free guy thing. Either they, one yeah. is and I've missed it, or two free guys being priced out because nailed on that would be a thing that would be in Fortnite. I imagine Fortnite charged them too much money. They've gone no. Probably, yeah. Yeah, but I I can picture Ryan Reynolds in Fortnite so clearly that it must I, I it must have happened in an alternate universe already, right? <laughs> there's an alternate universe where there's no pandemic and Ryan Reynolds is in Fortnite and all is good in the world. <laughs> yeah. Oh, what a dream. But the trade-off is Trump got a second term. That's like, you have to choose. <laughs> what do you prefer? Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, uh, Stacey, who's the next concert? If you get if you got to decide, what would the next Ooh, one? Be? Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift is. I said this at the time that Taylor Swift is probably the one that I would want ahead of Ariana Grande in terms of how much I like them and how much of a superstar they are. Mm-hmm. But all the things I said about Ariana Grande that she's a gamer, she plays games, she loves you know Fortnite and the whole deal. I feel like Taylor Swift wouldn't. So it would be really interesting to see somebody as huge as her come into this and. How would somebody who doesn't understand how the game works works? Taylor Swift is brilliant. She's my favorite singer. I would love to say alive. You know, there's other people you could pick. You know, something like Beyonce would be obviously a great choice in terms of her popularity. Yeah. But um, you know, I I I've listened to Taylor Swift since Fearless came out in what 2008. Um. So I I've been a Swifty for longer than I've been an Ariana, and I think uh, I think she would be a brilliant one to see. But I would be a little bit more nervous about her tackling it. I wonder how she would do it. And obviously, you'd hope that it would actually be live this time. 
I would hope they'd be live, and I'd hope they would be a little bit longer. Like, Ariana didn't play a full song, she only played six. I liked the songs she picked, as strange as they were, but I think it would be so great to have them play a full song. Like, have Taylor Swift play something like All Too Well on the piano in Fortnite. No one else would like that other than me, but who cares? <laughs> You're asking me to pick a, an ideal scenario, so that's what I'm picking. George, who do you want to do the next concert? During he's done pokemon so i would say post malone would be like a really good choice uh but i feel like for the next one they're gonna need to go a bit more original so i'm gonna i'm gonna go old school and say ed sheeran and the fact that's old school to me probably says a lot but i think ed sheeran has a lot of songs that would really fit with fortnite i think he could have a lot of like visual designs uh, i think he'd be a really good pick that wouldn't surprise me at all i just had to look this up because as soon as you said pokemon i realized it was post malone that did pokemon but lil nas x did a Roblox concert. Oh, I didn't know that. I love Little Nas X. I knew Post Malone did I assume did more because he is another one who's like really into video games. Yeah. Uh, okay, excellent. George, why don't you stick around? We'll talk about uh, Tales of Arise and Stacy will bid you adieu. Welcome back with Jade and George. Let's talk about Tales of Arise. Uh, Jade, we both got to play a extended demo. Um, I think it was about two hours. That's how long I played it. Yeah, more or less. I think I copied maybe just under like two hours-ish. So this is the first Tales game uh, I've ever played. I imagine you've played them before, right? Yes. I wouldn't call myself a super fan of the series or anything. I've played... Vesperia, Grace's F, and Berseria, maybe? But yeah, like I, I love my RPGs, but the Tales series is something that's somewhat eluded me over the years, I think. And George, you played a different demo a while back. Yeah, so about two months ago for RPG site, I got like maybe an hour, like maybe an hour and a half uh, on George, it. George, please, please don't mention other game websites. No, you can't. <laughs> we're we're going to have to bleep that out. <laughs> okay, cool. And have you played Tales games before? No, none. Uh, I've always heard like really good things, but it's just one of those series that I haven't really got into. Uh, positive impressions we're from this, though. We're all experts, then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for some reason, uh, the fact that this one has a title that's not a made-up word uh, yeah. attracted me a little bit more. <laughs> You can read uh, it. Like, that's a good start. Yeah, that, that was a good start for me. Um, okay, so uh, Jade, why don't you describe what our demo was like? So it essentially started from the beginning of the game. Like it was very much pitched to us as it's an extended demo. You can jump in, like get a taste of the story, the combat, the setting, and the themes of the game. I suppose. So it begins. You you just play as a dude called Alfin, but that's not revealed right away. He's just a a gristled man in an iron mask who has spent years toiling away on the surface of a planet as a slave to an empire on a planet that exists above them essentially and the story tries to pitch it as like these like group of people like overcoming adversity and finally escaping but the fact that the intro is over in about the space of like 10 to 20 minutes means this, this, the foundation of the story is fine but like it didn't leave too much of an impression on me like even if i like the characters yeah i know exactly what you mean um 
but at the same time it's what i played was almost all cinematics really okay <laughs> i mean i i think we both started at the beginning but what my recollection is it was like cutscene walk a few feet cutscene yeah walk like like until you uh get into the fight tutorial which is at least a half hour into the game mm. i i think there was almost no actual gameplay in <laughs> the demo it was all there's cinematics. one escape sequence when you meet up with Xion for the first time and she's very much like we need to get out of here and then it spawns you in an area where you're you're controlling the character you walk forward about five feet and then it just launches you into a cutscene for about 10 minutes <laughs> and it's like yeah it's very as a because i spoke with the producer like earlier this week that'll be going up on the site soon but okay. he very much described it as a almost like a rebirth of the series or something that newcomers and veterans can enjoy which it's cool reinventing the franchise like this but this is very much a game with like archetypal jrpg design conventions like it is it's it's by the numbers in a lot of ways even if the combat seems pretty great yeah so let's talk about the combat um george did you get to do any actual fighting in your demo yeah so mine was kind of sounds like the opposite of uh you two's is that mine was just all gameplay pretty much like, we just got a... cutscene for loser <laughs> yeah we just got cutscene after cutscene I, I got like a hint at some of the story stuff but it seemed like mine took place at the start but then they were just giving me the whole party anyway like it didn't really make sense i think it was just yeah. to show off uh and it's good fun uh it's really fast paced i uh I actually played through my Chromebook uh, through the, like a, a streaming service called Shadow, uh, which meant I couldn't use my yeah. controller for some reason. Yeah, same here. So I had to use like my Chromebook's like, little keyboard, and that made it really difficult. But by the time like the demo was over, I sort of got used to it, and I was like, okay, when I've got a controller, this will be really good. For now, this is like pulling teeth, but when I actually know what I'm doing, I'll probably mm -hmm. enjoy it quite a lot. Yeah. What's uh, Jade? What's the best comparison? What's another? like in terms of just the combat system i'd probably in terms of in the same genre i compare it to something like star ocean yeah it's very much especially compared to previous tales games i always found the battles to be over much too quickly especially random battles like you could wipe out a party of enemies within seconds but this one they've clearly wanted to make the combat more challenging and there's there's some stuff in there that's very much inspired by dark souls like the emphasis on reading the movements of enemies and dodging out of the way or risk losing a large amount of health and then combining combos like the art system from all the previous games is still there but there's a greater emphasis on combining those with other abilities and then use making use of your party so but the star ocean games have been hot garbage for about a decade now right. but this is seemingly pulling some of the real-time systems from that game and then working them into this so yeah like it's it's still very unique in terms of jrpgs maybe less so now with final fantasy going real time yeah so i was going to bring up final fantasy because i'm not a jrpg person at all so the the most similarities i saw from the gameplay was probably the final fantasy 7 remake um yeah because there are absolutely some similarities there you've got your roaming enemies and when you get close to them you go into like a combat encounter but it's all real time combat and you don't have the like pause system to select abilities that you have in final fantasy 7 remake um but it's still a very similar combat to that i 
think. Yeah, I don't. It's not as impactful. Like even if it feels heavier. Yeah, I agree. And I, I, I honestly think it's probably just down to this being a lower budget title in comparison to something like Final Fantasy. But mm. they're definitely trying to modernize it, which is absolutely, absolutely the right thing to do. Yeah, and it, it's definitely lower budget, but I think like the art style is very fitting. Oh yeah, um, the art style's good. They, I remember looking this up, but they, they've got a specific word for like the shader they use. Uh, and the purpose of it is to make it look kind of like watercolory, like all the environments and stuff. And I'd say it like achieves mm. that really, really well. Oh, yeah. like, the word for it has completely slipped my head, but I think it confines that look well. When I spoke to the developer earlier this week, I touched on pretty much every Tales game prior to this, except maybe Berseria and stuff, have been very, flat's a harsh word, but simplistic and charming anime aesthetic. Mm. Whereas this one is following in the footsteps of other Bandai Namco games like Scarlet Nexus or Code Vein, where it's maintaining that anime base, but it's vying to be almost more mature and gritty and fluorescent, I suppose, with the watercolor stuff they're going for. Mm. In terms of the story, uh, Jade, you said it was very like by the numbers sort of jrpg um and i don't play a lot of jrpgs but i got that sense too it mm. had some influences i think from like cyberpunk dystopia sort of had like an alita uh yeah. feel to it um and the archetypal characters i think is just sort of that's just what you can expect from any any of these tales games right i think so because very much the main male character alfin is a down on his luck slave and the the female character he's partnered with is from the planet above that have spent goodness knows how long oppressing his people so i very much think that story is going to follow them working together and then maybe realizing oh we're not so different after all or like <laughs> we have a common enemy like I've, i would not be surprised if that's the free line of the plot they're going for oh there's a sequence at the beginning where the the main characters are escaping on top of a train yeah and it's a pretty cool scene it's a pretty cool action scene but you yes, don't get to uh, yeah. play any of it it's... i know because i thought that was pretty sick i was like oh, this is really well choreographed like I'm, I'm into this it feels like a strong shonen anime or something like that but as you said like I think that's also part of like a larger sequence of cutscenes because I was expecting a fight to break out on the train, but yeah, that's not really what happened. No, no, the entire train thing is all just like watching an episode of a show. Like, you and don't... if it was that easy to bloody escape this whole time, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, like, oh, just hop on the train, easy. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I, I, my sense was you have to to really be invested in in that the watching the anime experience I yeah think. um because the the combat is fun and i'm sure that it it really opens up as the game goes did they tell you how long it was going to be no probably long like <laughs> judging yeah. by previous tales games this is probably going to be like a 30 hour minimum experience but okay the other ones are long is... too it's probably harsh to describe Tales as like a niche franchise, but it's very much one of those JRPGs that has an ingrained community of fans who will play this game regardless. And I think Bandai is trying to widen the net as much as they can. Have all the other Tales games been like real-time combat like this one? I think so, yeah. Okay. How old is the series? 
I don't even know. Oh, I'd Google it, but my keyboard's loud. I think it <laughs> might have started on the PS2, perhaps earlier. Okay. Um, and when does it come out? Early September. Um, as a newcomer as well, does this like entice you? Are you interested, or is it just sort of like enjoyed the demo, not super looking forward to it? You know, um, like I mentioned, Final Fantasy VII remake that kind of opened the door for me to try more jrpg stuff i know that one's pretty mainstream pretty like even i I guess westernized in Mm. a lot of ways so i'm interested in stuff like this uh but i am i feel like i'm way too add to sit around and watch cutscenes anymore like as a kid i could i could like get through metal gear and just like chill but uh i was looking at my phone i'll admit it like i really (laughs) i really can't deal with 10 20 minute cutscenes in between gameplay anymore i'll just look at my phone you weren't invested when he pulled the giant lava sword out of that girl's boobs <laughs> i mean yeah that was pretty hype i guess what did yeah, i miss that was pretty cool i was like oh is she okay like <laughs> uh i thought the monsters were cool um you know right at the start obviously you don't get a lot of techniques you don't get a lot of different abilities but i can yeah. definitely see where it's going i can see that it's going to get uh a a lot more varied and there's a a pretty deep customization menu too from what i could tell um but i just can't watch a movie while i'm playing a game anymore (laughs) yeah because like it's what like all past towers games there's going to be outfits galore for all of those characters but even with the combat itself it seems towards the end of my build you were able to unlock abilities i think they were like to me, they were on the D-pad, where like each each member of your party has like a special ability which can be combined when they reach a certain gauge. And I think once you once you have four people in your party and you're juggling all those combos and combinations together, like that could be quite compelling. But yeah, also we didn't see enough of the game to see that come to fruition. I also was a little put off by the hub town and the way that they do. Uh, like way mark waypoints and map markers. Me too. And stuff. It was I had to check the menu. Yeah, I had a hard time figuring out where I was supposed to go and who I was supposed to talk to. Like, I I don't know if I just need more hand holding than other people, but like there there's no the there was no quest markers. Once I got a quest, I didn't even know where to go with it. I was the same because on the map itself, it doesn't point out what new what new areas are which so you very much have to guess like you'll either be you'll either go to the edge of the map and be told you can't come here yet or you'll go in the right direction it's very it feels quite randomized because there's quest markers for the main quest but when you pick up side quests there doesn't seem to be yeah yeah and i also found that um you know after that train sequence you kind of fight your way through um some more open areas before you get to the town and then once i was in the town i found myself like taking a quest going back where we we came from going Mm. back to the town and then going back through that area and it's such a small zone and i felt like we had to do several laps right at the beginning of the game yeah Um, but once again it feels like very old school jrpg design yeah see it's so it's so weird hearing this because my demo was like completely the opposite to that like it was so gameplay focused that it's like there was no story at all, really. So describe describe what you saw in your demo. Uh, so it started off 
just like introducing the characters, only the two main ones. Uh, and then it said, go to this town. So walk to this town. You can fight some of the monsters in like the overworld. And then they say, oh, there's like a big monster over there. Go kill that. And then it was go kill that. And it was done. It was up to like me to go around and try out the combat gotcha. a bit more. So it was very different. There was some item I had to find in a house. And the house was like a four story house. And I could see on the map that I was in the right place. But I just kept going like up the stairs to the next level and looking around and then up a ladder to the next level and then back <laughs> down. To... I don't know if you remember that, Jay, but I was just like yeah. running up and down this house trying to find one chest or something in it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I, I'm going to sp- spend the time on it, but um, I think I would assume if you're a Tales fan, this is going to be a, a pretty exciting one. I hope so. I've I've seen mixed reception amongst the fan base in regards to like the new graphical style and some stuff they're doing, but I think it will, will be quite well received. I mean, I'll I'll play it. Like, I don't know if I'll love it, but I'll give it a go. <laughs> uh, when does it come out? September, early September. I can't remember the date off the top of my head. Pretty soon, and it's going to be on what platforms? PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X and S, and PC. Cool. Well, I'm sure once uh, once it gets reviewed, we'll be talking a lot more about Tales of Arise. I don't even know uh, who's doing that one. Hey, we'll oh, find yeah. out. It's probably going to be me. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Uh, Jade, why don't you stick around, and we'll talk about Hades coming to console. Yes. Welcome back. I'm here with Jade and now Keen Meyer. Hi, Keen. Hello. Uh, why are we talking about Hades? Because it's one of the best games ever made. <laughs> yeah. I think it might be, you know. Like, it I'm might be, fun, right? But... It might be. It was such a phenomenon. I think it, it, it was in early access for a long time, right? It, around was, two years, yeah. Around two years. And then when it first launched, was it late last year? It launched last year in September, as far as I remember. Okay. After, I think the most recent update prior to that was the December before. So there was less than a year before the last update and Hades 1.0. Gotcha. Um, And as soon as it came out, it was just like such a massive phenomenon. My entire Twitter timeline for weeks, like we were writing about it constantly. It was popping off. Like everybody loved this game uh, immediately. It was a huge phenomenon, right? Yeah. It took the world by storm, but for good reason as well, because prior to that, it had been, it was always big, even the original beta, which was just uh, Meg. That was the mm-hmm. only boss in the original beta. And then they added Hydra, they added Theseus, eventually added Hades. But even after Hades, that wasn't 1.0 because there's an ending after that. And, tons of different ending conditions after that again. So it had a pretty long journey, but from the very beginning when it was just literally Tartarus and Meg was the only boss, I don't think Meg's sisters were even in it yet. And at at that point in time, people were all saying, this is something special. Like, you know, you need to play this new Supergiant game. But a lot of people were like, well, it's not finished. And, you know, so a, a lot of people are reluctant to give early access titles a go. Which I think is changing now with the likes of Valheim and stuff like that. But 
two years ago when Hades originally came out, not many people wanted to really mess with early access. Well, and I think it was only early access on Epic too, which didn't help. If you think back two years ago, Epic had, was even a lot smaller than it still is. Um, but now it's coming to, I think most significantly Game Pass this week, um, but it's also getting its first PlayStation and Xbox launch. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay, so uh, it's, tomorrow. It, it's been on Switch. It's been tomorrow on Friday. PC. Uh, now Friday, it's coming to... I think? Yeah, 13th. Friday. Okay. 13th, is it? Yeah, okay. I thought it was 12th. Yeah, it's out on Friday. So finally coming to console and Game Pass. And my first instinct when I heard the news was like, well, who hasn't played Hades yet? But Jade, you just started playing for the first time, right? Yeah, so I dabbled super briefly in the PC version about a year or so ago, but I'm one of those people who's, who prefers playing on console on like a large television. So I, I, I'm not even sure I beat Meg, really. I played it for a couple of hours. So when Code for the PS5 version came in, my mission was to go, I'm finally going to play Hades. I'm going to see what all the fuss is about. Because before this, my knowledge of the series came from fan art and friends who were just gushing about it. So now, yeah. I've played a significant amount of it on the PlayStation 5, and the PS5 version seems pretty much flawless. And I assume it will be the same for the Xbox as well. But I've done my first, I've done two runs now, and I'm getting into the end game. And yeah, like it, it's absolutely worth all the praise that people heap upon it. Why do you think this one blew up so much more than other roguelites like Dead Cells? Because Hades does things that no other roguelites do, or roguelikes for that matter. When you look at Hades, it is the roguelike formula in it is super tight. I mean, the combat is great, the environmental design is brilliant, the bosses are well-paced um, in terms of how far you need to go in each biome in order to progress. All of the technical aspects of what qualifies a good roguelite are there. But also, Hades is this really curious sort of existence as, as a game that went through early access and people were playing and waiting for the next boss, waiting for the next area to unlock. But you could continue to rinse and repeat the areas you already had access to because this game revolves around not just dying and starting again, but also how that creates a narrative. Like in Hades, you are not necessarily supposed to die, but you are rewarded for dying because you get new conversations and you can spend your darkness on new upgrades and, you know, you can give people nectar. You need to die or win to go back to the House of Hades and give people nectar, which is what advances all the side stories. The narrative in Hades, I think, is what ultimately distances it from any other similar game. Yeah, it seems it seems like what most people connect with is the story and the way that... Uh, it evolves for people that haven't played it before. Jade, can you explain what makes it the its storytelling so unique? I think, as Kian said, like a lot of roguelites or roguelike light, however, whichever one it is, they punish you far too frequently. They'll take everything away. Whereas Hades realizes that failure needs to be a fundamental part of both its gameplay design and its narrative design. Like. If you aren't familiar with Hades, the entire thrust of the plot is Zagreus, the prince of the underworld, is just trying to reach Olympus and learn more about his past. 
and as a consequence he's leaving all of these people he spent his life getting to know in the underworld behind and with each subsequent one run you unlock new conversations with these people and learn about their stories and what matters to them in this world and what they mean to you and some of these people are cheering you on and thinking like you're doing the right thing by going to olympus and like going against your dad's wishes who is hades like obviously while others are almost like you're tearing this place apart by doing this and, and i hate you for it but there's there's also like an underlying sense of of love there like zagreus is a part of a wider family in the underworld and a large portion of Hades is spent like getting to know these people and their stories and that's my favorite part of the game like while the combat is fantastic and the progression is even better like I'm playing to die essentially so I can return mm. to the underworld and see more of these stories and it's like extremely sexy yeah everyone in that game is like sexy as fuck it's yeah it's a it's problem. also it's also so novel in that if you take even over the last like year and a half, you've got Assassin's Creed Odyssey, Immortals Phoenix Rising, God of War was 2018. Well, God of War was uh, Norse this time around. Yeah. But what was the other... Uh, there was another Greek one. There was Immortals, Odyssey, Hades. Mo- and, uh... huh? There was one more major one. It doesn't matter. But the thing is, this was such a unique and novel <laughs> take on Greek mythology. It is like... Greek mythology meets Love Island in terms yeah. of how these characters are, like, <laughs> yeah. operate, which is so refreshing because you get all these like self-serious, super grave sort of renditions of older stories, which work, especially, you know, like Norse mythology and Greek mythology and Roman mythology and Celtic mythology are all timeless. And there's, there's a reason why they're re-examined so often in new forms. But Hades just took Greek mythology and said, I'm going to have fun with this and I'm going to have a yeah. laugh. And the dialogue is just funny and campy and really enjoyable compared to something that's all about, you know, death and fate. And, you know, that's here. But also you have Zagreus going up to Cerberus and like, you know, you give him the satyr sack and it's like Cerberus vanquished, not really, and stuff like that. Like yeah. there's, mm-hmm. there's so much humor here um, that... Even when it's at its most intense or serious, you're like probably 20 seconds away from laughing. Yeah, like it understands the importance of that tone. Like, I don't want to get too into massive spoilers, but after your first run, there's a lot of like really emotional revelations that had me being choked up because by through humor, banter and charm of its characters, it makes you care for them when those serious moments do happen. And I don't know about me, but like stuff like Assassin's Creed Odyssey, I love those games, but I didn't get into the mythology or the history of it all as much as I wanted to because the characters didn't have the charm that Hades does. And like, I remember talking to Greg Kasavin, like the narrative director on this, and he was like, oh, I didn't know who Zagreus was until I started like working on this game and examining Greek mythology with like a greater, like, like a deeper lens. And I think they looked into like, this area that's been examined time and time again and knew they needed to do something different with it. Like it's incredibly modern in that sense. Like there's a reason why millions of people have been drawn to this game and made fan art, fan fiction and so on, because it's probably like some of the greatest renditions of these characters we've ever seen in games. Zagreus was kind of a blank slate 
as far yeah. as I knew, right? Like in the mythology, there wasn't even that much to draw from. Like they got to kind of make an original character, right? In general, in the mythology, a lot of the Catonic deities are left alone aside mm-hmm. from Hades because people are more concerned with the 12 Olympians or else there are other Greek gods that are sort of still in contention to this day about whether or not they qualify as an Olympian or not. Um, which is funny because even the Olympians there are, it's like Ares is God of War and Athena is the God of Strategic War. And you're like, oh, brilliant. Yeah, you needed to Lincoln designate Chair. 12 different gods and they're yeah. oddly similar. But there are so many more gods, uh, even like above ground in terms of possible Olympians who aren't necessarily canonical. But mm. once you go to the underworld, aside from Hades and maybe characters like Charon who aren't even deities, there's there's not much there. Um, yeah. Zagreus, as you said, was rarely explored before now, which I think makes him the perfect vessel to carry a story like Hades because Supergiant just gave itself such an opportunity to do something new with this character. Mm. And it worked. Yeah. It's... um. It strikes me as a incredibly influential roguelike too. I think that we're going to see because it, it breaks so many of the conventions. You know, before Hades, uh, when we looked at roguelike, roguelikes, it was always like, oh, how much do you get to carry over? Do they let you level up at all? Like, And Hades goes all in, like pushes that window all the way over. Yeah. It's like it... At, Every run is always building on itself. You're always progressing. And it's not just the the character progression. It's also the story. And the to have a, a roguelike game that's like so heavily uh story based, you know, I, I could I still think it's a great game to just like pick up and do some runs. But um, you know, I, I started the game and I didn't get all the way through to the end. And when I, I'm gonna go back to it now, I think I'm gonna just start a new file. Because I want the continuation of all those like story beats. I don't want to just like start in the middle of this game. And that's like not a normal way to play a roguelike. Like if I wanted to play Dead Cells right now, I would just pick it up and start playing. There's nothing I have to be like, oh yeah, what happened previously? Like and I can definitely see roguelikes in the future because because Hades was so successful, uh leaning more into that direction. Do you? Absolutely, because there are some great roguelites and roguelikes out there. I like them quite a lot. I actually, I'm a particularly big fan of the deck builders. I really like Side the Spire yeah, and Monster Train. Mm-hmm. But with Hades, there is no industry where this does not influence how storytelling through this through this specific genre can occur. Because what Hades did was something that no game really did before. That's what makes it special. And when you say that you want to start a new file, if someone said to me, I played Hades last year. I paid 15 runs, uh, uh, 20 runs. I got one escape. I'm considering playing it on Xbox or PS4 or PS5. I don't know if I want to start a new file or not. I'd say absolutely because you were supposed to not escape like 20, 25 times before you do. Mm-hmm. You were supposed to get to know all of the characters in the house, and ha- house of Hades by repeatedly coming back, speaking to them, learning about them, and eventually you escape. And then their attitude towards you changes you're not supposed to get out on the first or second try and miss all of that because it's not necessarily exposition, but it's definitely essential context. And I think for, if anyone jumped right back in where they left off, I'm not sure they'd stick with it because Mm -hmm. 
that context is pretty much essential for actually wanting to repeatedly get out of the underworld. Yeah, and and the other thing about it is it really rewards you at whatever your pace is. Like you say, 20, 25 runs before you get out the first time. But I think like even if you don't have the skill to do that, you're not going to hit that point of repetition for a while, like even long after that. What, however many times you die, however long it takes you to play the game, it always feels like you're progressing. Like it's always giving you something new, even if it's just a little story beat when you come back, right? It also has God mode, which is something I think more roguelikes and roguelites could adopt as an organic means of making it more approachable. Because every time you die, your damage resistance increases by 2%. You, you don't escape 25 times. You now have plus fifty percent damage resistance for your entire next run, mm-hmm. which makes such an enormous difference. And I mean, you're playing as a god. Like, I don't, I don't see why like god mode shouldn't be like it. Actually, has narrative significance as well if you want to look at it that way. I think that when people talk about difficulty options and whatever, Supergiant has done a really, really good job of innovating in in a way that still feels organic to the entire experience that there's no hard difficulty options there could easily be i don't think that would make it any worse but mm-hmm. god mode is an extremely novel take on how to you know reckon with the idea that there are different skill levels here and people are going to go at their own pace i think hades is built in such a way that everyone will be able to get through it eventually and I think because of the way the narrative works, no matter how long that takes, it won't get stale. Yeah, that's a really good point, because I wouldn't say that about any other roguelike I've ever played. And I've played a ton, and I would never say, like, oh, anyone can make it to the end of this. Like, the the, the genre is almost by definition, like, punishing and difficult and mm. not for everyone. But but I think, like, Katie's really is. I think, like, it, it is the most accessible. And maybe that's what makes it so great. Uh, it really enters the stratosphere when the Switch release came out and people realized, like, this game is perfectly designed for a platform like this. Yeah. And I think and I think the same will happen again when it comes to Game Pass and the PlayStation consoles. Like, it's going to reach a whole new audience again. And then Hades will once again come to the conversation and people will realize what a special game this is. Because as, as Kian said with God Mode, like... I've always struggled with this genre. Like the stuff like Splunky and Binding of Isaac, I just can't get into because I, I'm one of those people that needs a constant train of progression to keep me invested. And Hades takes the, the genre and looks at all of its positives and negatives and recognizes what it needs to keep and where it needs to innovate to create something that we haven't seen before. Like there's a lot of familiar stuff in Hades, but there's an equal amount of stuff that pushes the genre forward and it's like incredibly special whether it be the combat the story or the characters like it all comes together in a way that for this genre it i suppose like by definition it shouldn't but it does like this isn't the genre where i expect it to be as immersed in the story as i am and i think that's that's an achievement in itself i'm curious if you think it's going to be a good one for mobile just because it's such a busy game and I wonder if uh, uh, if the screen can get too small for it. 
I think it could work, but you'd probably need a controller. I'm not sure how it would work with touch controls, really, because it could. But the thing is, it as you said, it's so busy that yeah. if you had to overlay UI on the actual screen, you would be obstructing your vision with your actual thumbs. So it could work on mobile, but I would say a controller would be highly recommended. There's a lot of variables to all the different weapons and abilities as well that one like singular UI on mobile would be hard to nail down. I think one of the most important things to consider when you discuss Hades is the fact that it's a super giant game. Uh, Greg Kassavan said in an interview last week that he is unsure whether or not Hades will be getting a sequel. And I think the most important thing to, you know, take from that is that I'm not sure anybody thought Hades was going to get a sequel because Supergiant doesn't do sequels. Supergiant makes games based on what it feels is the most organic form for the game they are currently concepting. Bastion and Hades are pretty similar aesthetically in some ways. Pyre and Transistor are completely different. But the thing about a Supergiant game is you can tell it's one from a mile away and all of them are radically different to one another while still sharing the same DNA. So I think that the most important thing to talk about when you're discussing Hades is that whatever follows this will inevitably learn from it and there will be Hades DNA in it. But I don't think we have any way of predicting what it's going to be. Oh, yeah. When you look at Hades and you look at how cohesive it is, I spoke to the composer who also voices Agrius last year and I'm not going to get into spoiler territory, but some of the music that launched with 1.0 last September is so ridiculous in how cohesive it is with the art, the story, how the lyrics, how the lyrics texture what happens. I just think that this is the product of a team that had a very clear and singular and just completely, I want to say, Ambitious isn't the word I'm looking for. Uncompromising. They mm. never had to compromise on their vision whatsoever. Mm. And I think early access probably helped with that because they didn't need to put out a game as one product at one time and they could take in feedback while they were while it was in development. Mm. But Hades launching now and more people playing it and people talking about it again just makes me excited for what's going to come next. Yeah, that's a great point. I'm not interested in Hades 2 at all, but I'm no. incredibly interested in what Supergiant's going to do next, right? I feel like a sequel would be, I suppose betrayal is a strong word to like what Supergiant is best at. Like, as Kian said, each of their games has had a thread of DNA running through it, but they've all been like uncompromisingly unique in their vision. Like, right. each of their games is completely different and very special in its own right. And, I'd love to see that that pattern of releases continue. And I honestly think Supergiant would as well. Like they're also riding on like an unparalleled an unparalleled wave of success right now, which will arguably lead its next game to be potentially larger in scope or more ambitious. But these sort of small intimate projects is very much how they do things and I don't think that will change, like, which is certainly for the better. Yeah, I hope that doesn't change uh, because, like you said, they're writing this huge wave of success, and there's there's some universe where they go after what's going to be most successful rather than what's most interesting to them to develop. You know, because Pyre is such a fascinating game, and it's definitely not for everyone. 
Mm. Um, and I would much rather see their next game be something as inventive and unique as Pyre than just whatever is going to be most popular. Yeah, I wouldn't like them. I wouldn't like to see them just go for another roguelite that had the same sort of narrative shaping to it as Hades, because I'm sure it would be a great game. But also, I'm not sure that's the game that Supergiant wants to make. Yeah, yeah, and the game Supergiant wants to make is the one I want to play. Exactly, and I wish that with the success of Hades, that more people would go back and play Pyre. But I've yet to see that happen. I I don't think I've seen a single person who really enjoyed Hades go back and be like, oh, I never played Pyre. I'm going to give that a try. No, Pyre is very much their black sheep in like a lot of unfair ways. It's also one of the most weird and inventive games I've ever played. And I yeah. don't think it could have come from any studio that was not Supergiant. Yeah. Yeah, you're probably right. Uh, but that's also why it's so divisive. Because it's so weird. <laughs> and it's like a book. <laughs> it's dense. <laughs> yeah. I hope um, you like reading. Good game, though. If you like Hades, I'm not, I can't necessarily recommend Pyre because they're so different, but it does have all the super giant hallmarks, right? Like it's clearly the same studio. So, in that regard, maybe you should try it out. I'll just go back and play Bastion and listen to Logan Cunningham sing the Pantheon, which is absolutely incredible. Yeah, Bastion is still... It it holds up. It's still a great game. Cool. Uh, Keen, stick around. Let's talk about Pokemon Snap and Jade. Thanks. We'll see you next time. I'm vanishing. You're welcome. <laughs> wouldn't be an episode of the gamer podcast if we didn't talk about a pokemon game uh, <laughs> and today we're going to talk about the new update surprise update for new pokemon snap and Ken, i'm not going to bury the lead man these levels slap they are so good i think that they're better than the majority of the base game levels i think so too so which one but we'll go through all three but let's start out which one did you like the best Probably Mighty Wide River. Yeah. Um, what about you? I am blown away by the the shrinking one. <laughs> uh, I played that one the most, even though it has the least progression of any of them. But um, what I really love about this like shrinking mechanic is uh, not just how much it changes your perspective of the game, but they did such a good job like telling a story on that track. Um, and the way that you follow the Grookey and the Pichu and it gets chased by the Dodrio. And then uh, at the end, they meet up with the Tortero and it like protects them. Like that whole narrative is really fun. Um, but then there's just like all kinds of little details. Riding on the back of the Amolga is really cool. Uh, feeding the Snorlax with, with the tiny fruit is really cool. Like I, it's just, it's a shorter track, but like every moment of it is is incredibly inventive even after a dozen regular levels like they found something to do they found a way to do something i didn't expect uh which really impressed me i think they also did a really good job of contextualizing that level in particular because 
obviously Barren Badlands, Mighty Wide River and Secret Side Path are all on existing islands. Mm-hmm. But with Secret Side Path, because it's part of Florio Nature Park, I know that you can access it on your own. You don't need to go into Florio every single time you want to play Secret Side Path. But Pidgeot's Nest is there. And during the day, it's like, oh, it looks like a Pokemon is here. They could be out looking for food. And then at nighttime, the Pidgeot from Florio can be seen in the nest asleep. Yeah. Which implies that it's either... Uh, you haven't fed it in Florio because that's how you get the four-star shot on Florio as you go at nighttime. You feed Pidgeot on the right at the beginning, in the middle, in the middle, obviously, and then it flies down to you in the meadow and you get your four-star shot. Right. But obviously, because you're not there to feed it, it just goes back to its nest and goes to sleep. I think that um, how they have managed to contextualize these new maps in tandem with existing ones gives me a lot of hope for the fact that this is the first of several updates. Yeah, I hope so too. Um, and, you know, I love the the base game already, but um, for some reason, like you said, like, I think these are even better. Um, talk about the, the wide river. The river, Stacy wrote a really good piece for us about how We've got a lot of water levels already. We've got the beach, we've got the reef, and we've got the undersea. Mm-hmm. The undersea in particular is absolutely incredible just because of how much spectacle there is involved in that. Especially when you figure out how to unlock all of the alternate routes and finally get Lugia. And the first time you get Lugia out and you get it to do the underwater roar is like, wow, this is snap at its best. Yeah. Especially because of how many steps are involved in doing that. Like, I personally believe new Pokemon Snap is one of the best puzzle games I've played in years. Because even though it's not ostensibly a puzzle game, yes, it is. Yeah, I agree. Um, and the thing is, with, with the river, they somehow managed to include a water level that is not like the other tree, because you are actually moving along with the river's current and observing the land beside you, but also the river itself. When for alligator jumps down... Uh, like after scaring the butterfly and then just dives into the water or you see you know if you, if you throw an illumina orb at tropius and it flies off into the sky gyarados coming out of the waterfall at the end that is one of my favorite parts of the uh, map but also i went to show my brother that i was like oh look how cool this is he hasn't played snap and i was like look if i just throw this illumina orb here gyarados jumps out and he didn't jump out and i was like oh my god this is this is embarrassing. Like, you know, <laughs> he's after watching three minutes of this level being like, oh yeah, yeah, sure. And then Gyarados is supposed to jump out and it just didn't. But when it does work, it is just incredible. Especially, I, I, I'm biased, right? Because Bla- Gyarados is one of my favorite Pokemon. Blastoise mm. is my favorite. And then probably after the rest of the Squirtle family, it's like mm-hmm. Gyarados and Suikun. So like, I, I like water Pokemon, which definitely feeds into why I like Mighty Wide River. Mm-hmm. but I think it's the best water level without a doubt because you're talking about the stories in Secret Side Path and I completely yeah. agree with you and I think that similar stories in Mighty Wide River are maybe not as good but because I prefer the environment they work better for me personally like the Apom chasing the Psyduck and then Ursaring comes over and Psyduck shits itself and uses confusion and then a magikarp comes out of the water and is floating in the air it's it's incredible um i like baron badlands too and i i I, like you secret side path is it's probably my second favorite Mm. but i like it for much of the same reasons as you 
I think Baron Badlands is definitely the weakest, but Mighty Wide River, I it just has the most spectacle for me. Baron Badlands has a lot of repeats of Pokemon we've already seen, and I guess they all, all three of them do. Baron Badlands seems like maybe it has the least new Pokemon to find. There's the the Rockruff. The strange thing about Baron Badlands is that it actually has the most. Does it really? There are 20 new Pokemon, and 10 of them are in Baron Badlands. Oh, okay. Well, I obviously haven't spent enough time finding all the secrets there, then. The problem is that most of the interesting things in Baron Badlands happen from existing Pokemon. Right, okay. So it's got Rockruff, Tepig, Crustle, Swalot, Scolopede. That's five. There are definitely five more. It's Coughing. Yeah. Coughing's there, yeah. And I'm not going to try and I'm not. I'm not just going to like you know remember them if I can. I I but don't know. Are, it felt like it had fewer. There are four more there, but mm. the issue is that Tyranitar does more on that map than any of the new ones. Really, Onyx yeah. at the end. It's pretty cool seeing Onyx poke its head out of the the sort of caves at the end. But the entire middle of that map. Sure, like the poison swamps are interesting, but Swalot's just not that interesting a Pokemon, right. and half the map is devoted to it. Don't tell Stacy that. <laughs> <laughs> it's true though; half the map is devoted to that. And coughing, I like coughing and wheezing, but coughing in this doesn't even do anything. Yeah, and Tepig, it's not like Grookey or Pichu or Scorbunny. It just sort of runs away on its own. And I've I've maxed out that map to level three. Yeah. And it does hang out with Torchic, Rockruff, and Shinx. But it's the least interesting of them because the rest of them actually do things and Tepic just sort of sits there and smiles. It's there's, there's a sorry, moment yeah. on the alternate path where you find the Scolipede and it's sleeping and the Tepig and the Rockruff are like curled up with it. And I was like Man, they've done this in like four different levels where you just have a big Pokemon and then you have two small ones sleeping next to it. Why They I, kept reusing that. I don't think it really works with Scolipede either because no. you can see Torterra being a sort of like paternal Pokemon to the likes of Grookey and stuff. Scolipede, mm -hmm. absolutely not. Scolipede is, is a mean Pokemon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, there's no way it's looking after Tebig and Rockruff, even if it is asleep and they're just like cuddling up for one. Also, why would Rockruff do that when Lycanroc is on the same map? Right, yeah. It yeah. just... Baron Badlands seems like the worst of the three, despite the fact it has the most new Pokemon, because it doesn't make use of them. And also, I don't think it has the same level of coherence that the rest of them... In, in terms of making sense mm -hmm. that yeah. the rest of the maps do. Especially... The, the newer ones because they are definitely better than most of the the only old ones that I would say are better than the new ones are Shiver Snowfields and maybe Outaway Cave mm. Shiver Snowfields was my least favorite map in the game until I unlocked the two alternate routes and after that I was like oh the worst map in Snap is actually the best one because this is incredible when you yeah. get to Suikun my favorite map has changed so much because there's just so many good ones. The Nowhere Forest is so incredible. Um, and then the the jungle one just has so many secrets. Did you find a lot of secrets in these new maps? 
I was just about to say, I haven't figured out how to do it yet, but I am almost 100% certain that Mew is in Mighty Wide River. Oh, okay. When you start Mighty Wide River, if you listen, you can hear Mew's cry. Oh, interesting. Well, so are I, there any other legendaries in these new ones? I haven't seen any, no. And okay. Because I thought that there would be, because I know Sweltering Sands doesn't have any legendaries. Um... Firefly Volcano obviously does, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't have been surprised if Baron Badlands had something. That being oh, said, in... in Firefly Volcano, yeah, yeah, I haven't, I haven't spent that much time looking up at the sky. I don't expect to see Ho there, but I, I really do think that Mew is on Mighty Wide River. But I've tried playing music and throwing Illumina orbs and fluff fruit and you know everywhere, and nothing has happened. But I am 100% convinced that its cry is at the start of that map. And it is the exact same as it is in Founder Jungle. As soon as you start, you hear it behind you. Okay. But you can't, but you don't see it behind you here. No. Hmm. And if you try the same thing where you throw the Illumina Orb and, and play the music, it doesn't come out. One thing I really appreciated about these new maps is the opportunity to finish my photo decks for certain Pokemon. Because I know that you can finish it in just the base game. You can get your four shots of everyone. But there were some that I struggled with. And um, in in Secret Side Path, I got to get my four-star or maybe it was a three-star Torterra that I had never had before and finished that one. So it's a kind of a cool alternate way to finish some of your shots that maybe you couldn't find before. Did, were you able to finish any that, that you hadn't finished? Yeah, I also think it's a great way of incentivizing being excited about ex- existing Pokemon as opposed to just the new ones because they behave in ways that they don't do in the original mm-hmm. maps. Yeah. So I think I think I might have had Torterra done. You can get a four-star Torterra on Florio if you throw a Fluffroot at it at nighttime and make it open its mouth. Mm. But I think I got my three-star for Sylveon after coming out of Secret Side Path, because it is different to how it usually is. I, what else? I definitely got a few. I also, for what it's worth, I found that the new Pokemon are much easier to get all four shots for. Yeah. Of the 20, I've already got like six full. I think I filled Crustle on Baron Badlands in four runs. Because each time I, I spawned in, I took like, six or seven photos of it and they would usually span at least three categories Mm -hmm. because that is one thing about even if then i already said that i didn't think the baron badlands new pokemon were particularly interesting but they do have a lot of different behaviors they're just not as great as you know tyranitar smashing a rock after like lycan rock roars at it or action shots right yeah it's the base game's interactions were just absolutely phenomenal in yeah. almost every single case. Even when you're on Shiver Snowfields and Skarmory screams at you and then flies away and stuff like that, there's nothing... Well, Dodrio jumping down and chasing away the baby Pokemon in Secret Side Path is probably the closest to that. Right. Or, or Ursaring scaring Psyduck into using Confusion. But aside from that, there's Pokemon are more sort of isolated in the new maps, I think. Yeah. I still think that they're 
more inventive maps for the most part. And it definitely shows that Bandai knew their strengths by the time they started working on these maps. But I would like to see more Pokemon interacting with each other instead of having their own set scripted parts. Right. Yeah, that that was something that occurred to me during Secret Side Path 2. Um, because that finale where the Dodrio is surrounded by the three Torteros and the babies are on the back of the one, that's such a scene. And you can pull I some of all like 10 of my favorite pictures of all time come from just that part of that track because there are so many different angles there are so many different perspectives you can take to get cool shots there and the rest of the game as you say it has a lot of like isolated moments like this is when you're going to get this shot of, of this pokemon doing this action and try to frame it up perfectly and time it right and get a really good shot of this pokemon but that particular sequence is such a cool scene that you can find different shots in i really hope that we get to see more stuff like that in the future yeah, like there are very few scenes in the base game that are that busy and that well done. One of my favorite ones is in Elsewhere Forest when you have to use the crystal bloom to guide Saw's book. No, it's uh, Deerling through the forest to meet Saw's book. Yeah. If, but if you hit the wrong one halfway through, you attract, uh, what are they called again? You know, you know what I'm talking about? They're a similar shape to a Molga, but they're in Elsewhere Forest. Are they Espers? Esper. That yeah. is who. You attract the Esper to come down, and that means Deerling goes the wrong way. But mm-hmm. if you miss that Crystal Bloom and guide Deerling the whole way through, and it's reunited with Saw's book, and then Espeon guides you into the new part of Elsewhere Forest that you've likely not been, despite having, you know... That took me like eight or nine runs to actually yeah. find that. And then when you finally get there and it brings you to like Gardevoir and Alolan Ninetales and stuff. The Dodrio and Torterra fight in the new update. I think it's it's not as in, inventive as that in terms of working with the level design. But it is 100% better in terms of telling an actual coherent Pokemon story using all of the Pokemon at your disposal in a level. Right. And I would definitely like to see more of that in future updates. You and I are a little bit unique in that we both really appreciate the pace of new Pokemon Snap. I think, like, broadly, the criticism I hear the most about this game is how much of a grind it is. Um. because of how many times you have to repeat the courses over and over to level them up and to finally see something new. I think the people that bounced off this game quick didn't, they expected like how the original game was just like a couple hours to see everything. Whereas this one, you do have to, you do have to repeat a lot, but I think you and I appreciated that a lot because of how much you get to experiment and how much you get to find. And because it challenges your, how well you can pay attention to like small details right um and so it was interesting to me that these new levels did not cut down on the grind at all like they they still required the same amount of of replays and um you know i think even the secret side path it only levels up from one to max and i think it took me six runs to get there i think with snap you need to 
to fully enjoy it, and I don't mean to dictate how someone should play this game, mm. but to fully enjoy it, you need to play it in good faith and recognize that it's not making you grind for no reason. Yeah. There is a lot here to see, and you can't see all of it in one run or two runs or three runs. And sure, if you just want to, you know, jump in and it's a new Pokemon game and you want to play it for five or six hours, sure, that's fine. But if you... This is the perfect game for people who genuinely love Pokemon and, you know, mm. have for a long time and regularly play these games even now because it has the best Pokemon stories. It has the best Pokemon personalities. It has the best Pokemon behaviors. There are so many things that this does that outshine the mainline series so overwhelmingly well that I'm already like, I would prefer 10 snap updates in one go than Gen 9. Yeah. Because this is just such a unique game in that way. And I understand, right? If you're just picking this up as a very casual fan and you're expecting high-octane action, it's not necessarily going to give you that. But also, it can. When you get further into the game and you can go through levels faster, or a lot of people I know are like waiting for like some perfect shot without ever doing anything. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, no, I don't finish a single run without zero film left. Yeah. I, I sometimes run out of film halfway through a run. And I think if you play properly and you get all your photos evaluated, it's not that grindy. Like when you say that you leveled up Secret Side Path to max in six runs, when I first started playing, I didn't really know how to play properly. It probably took me double that to level up areas. Mm -hmm. But now you can do it because you're using all of your shots. You're getting pretty good shots. You're experimenting with different Pokemon to see how you can get them to move. Like you're throwing fruit at their head and orbs at them and playing music. And you get to yeah. see all these different behaviors and no two runs are the same. I don't think it's like we, we spoke about Hades. I don't think it's roguelike or roguelike level of difference between each run because it is linear but no two runs are the same mm -hmm. i don't think you can do the same run twice and i don't know i i don't mean to i don't mean to say that not playing it in the way that me and you play it is approaching this game in bad faith but mm -hmm. i do think that if you're willing to maybe re-examine how you engage with the game that there's probably a lot more to enjoy there than you might recognize yeah i yeah i totally agree i think but you you do have to accept a, a slower pace for sure but that's that that's how it should be that's like how nature photography simulator <laughs> should be <laughs> just like slow down observe you know like experiment get get in deep with each course and see what there is to see because it's incredibly rewarding like it, it feels like one of those cl cliches where like the more you put into snap, the more you get out of it because those really unique interactions and like the really special things that can happen. It takes a lot of trial and error to find those things, but it feels so cool when you do find them. Also, I don't know about you, but if I finish a run and I'm looking through the photos I got and say I went to photograph Blastoise after it pops a bit of the whirlpool and sort of like you know rockets off into the distance in Maricopia Reef yeah if I get my photo of that and I've taken three or four photos and I finish my run 
and they're a little bit off, well, not necessarily off center because, you know, most good shots aren't centered, which mm-hmm. Professor Mirror doesn't seem to understand. He doesn't get it, yeah. But if I'm looking at my four or five shots at that and they're not really up to par, the first thing I want to do is play that whole level again. I'm not like, oh, this is such a grind. I'm not going to play it again. Oh my God, I just played that. I don't want to, I'm like, oh my God, I can get a better photo if I just do this map again. And yeah. also I get to see Lapras again and Manaphy again and I don't know. Yeah, it's, totally. it's, I suppose it, it is just a different approach, isn't it? it? It depends on how much this is your thing, like right. seeing Pokemon behave in unique ways and getting to actually photograph them. But for me, I don't know. I, I think the, the best Pokemon games in years have not been mainline games. They've been the likes of Snap. I think Unite is one of the best Pokemon games in years. Pokemon mm-hmm. Go is much better than Gen 6 or 8, mm-hmm. at least. I think that I love the traditional formula and I'll I'll obviously get Gen 9. I my we last week on the podcast I said my third most anticipated game of the year is Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl. Yeah. But at the same time, these new ways of experimenting with Pokemon are definitely the most interesting things that have happened to the series in a very long time. Yeah, it's weirdly the best year we've had for Pokemon games in forever and we haven't even gotten an rpg yet and that's still coming you know exactly Uh, yeah i i love it i didn't i had no idea this update was coming it was a total surprise to me it was just like and it's out today yeah Um, i had a feeling that they'd do dlc but i didn't think it would be this soon and i didn't think it would be you know announced with such short lead time right i i hope there's a lot more I do too. I think that there are definitely hints that there are more, even in Professor Mirror's dialogue in this new update. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I don't think that they are going to launch this game, have it like, you know, ship 2 million units, not including Japan, and launch an update like this. And the last thing is like, oh, and by the way, like, you know, among the last Pokemon ever added to this game are Swellot and <laughs> Crustle. <laughs> I think that you know there's a lot of Pokemon still missing from this that kind of need to be in a new Pokemon Snap game. So I I I think that there won't just be one more update. I I would say at least two or three. Right. And it doesn't narratively like you said, it doesn't feel like an epilogue in any way. I I mean it starts out with like, oh, we've just discovered this new technology where you can shrink. It's I I think we can count on seeing that mechanic used in another region. Um, I think it would be great in the jungle. Absolutely. And I think like the exact quote is something like, oh, right now it only works in this one place, but we're working on it. Yeah. So also like, you know, if there's, if there's more maps, like I already wrote for the site, I I, like, I I want a map in space because that is something that Pokemon can get away with, with the old. Right. And that's how the first game ends. So, So I, I just really think that that needs to be there. But also, I mean, we haven't even got anything from the Dratini line in there. Mm. There That's are so a really many point, yeah. There are so many, like Abra, Kadabra, Alakazam, they're not there. And I know I'm just naming Gem 1 Pokemon right now, but if Unite is anything to go by where half the roster is Gem 1 and two mm. of the new Pokemon coming to it are also Gem 1, I think that, yeah, sure, they're different developers, but... Regardless of what Pokemon does ever, Gem 1 is always going to, you know, have the highest presence. 
And at the moment with Snap, it is missing some of the most iconic Pokemon from that. There's like Scyther's not even in it. Right. And Tauros. Like <laughs> yeah. Magmar. Uh, Magmar is Magmar in it? No. No. Electabuzz. Magmar and Electabuzz, you know, in the anime, that's probably the most iconic fight in the entire anime. Yeah. And that Scyther needs to be there. Scyther popping out of the grass in the original game is a pretty iconic moment too, I think. Yeah. I, I think that there is Gen 2 is pretty well represented in terms of good Pokemon, but like, you know, the likes of Tyranitar and Umbreon and Houndoom, Weavile well, Weavile's Gen 4, but I mean it kind of represents Sneasel. Swampert is that Gen 2? Uh Swampert's Gen 3, I think. Gen 3. Okay. It has and it, but it does have Feraligator, Typhlosion, and Meganium. Right. So But yeah, I don't know. I just I don't see a game in which like, you know, the last update ever is Fungus or Shroomish. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I like Shroomish because I like Balloon, but also it's not really capable of closing out, you know, <laughs> new Pokemon Snap, especially with how successful it has been. There there's a couple things that feel like they're missing that I don't know if we'll ever get. Like like you mentioned like they're a few Pokemon that we haven't seen, but there's also still no evolutions, which was such a big part of the original game. It's just so bizarre to me that you don't have any way of evolving a Pokemon like in the course, right? I I am trying to figure out yet because I've done it a few times, but I can't tell if it actually happens. When you use the Illumina Orb and the Crystal Bloom and Mighty Wide River to get Gyarados to come out, there are two Magikarp trying to jump up the waterfall. Oh, okay. And the thing is, a Magikarp evolves into a Gyarados in the same way a Koi becomes a dragon in terms of, you know, scaling the waterfall and when it gets to the top. That is, oh. like, what it's based on. Okay, but, so that kind of seems like one, yeah. But it's not visible. You don't get to see it happen because it's yeah. behind the waterfall, like, as if it's a curtain. But maybe that's hinting at something. Maybe that's a tease. Maybe I'm just extrapolating too much from that. Mm. But... It does seem really weird that there are no live evolutions. Yeah, that'd be a yeah. pretty cool moment to get a photo of. And something I read about, there's no shinies. Yeah. It seems like such a huge missed opportunity. Just to have, like, maybe there's a 2% chance that when you run a course, something on that course will be a shiny version. It would incentivize using the online features so much. Yeah. In terms of actually sharing photos. Right. Like, imagine you're in Runes of Remembrance and you get a shiny Umbreon. Yeah, that, that would, be, would be incredible. I'm not yeah. sure how easy it would be, especially because of how unique the behaviors are and how consistent they are across each course to implement shinies. But I also think it could definitely be done. And if it was, it would make new Pokemon Snap have so much more longevity. Yeah, because, I mean, shiny hunting, we, we do that in every Pokemon game. Like, that that's what gives the, even the oldest Pokemon games the longest life, is is people sh hunting for shinies. That's, like, where replayability comes in so strong. What's your favorite shiny? Uh, I, I mean, the Black Charizard. Black Charizard <laughs> is, it's everyone's favorite, probably. It's the most obvious one, but. And it's because, like, the Pokemon card. Every every time they print a shiny Charizard, it's, like, the biggest chase card. You know, everybody wants the shiny Charizard card, so. 
What's yours? I don't know. I really like Umbreon. I like the blue yeah. loops, but also I think a super under underrated one is Gigalith. Okay, I can't picture it. Shiny Gigalith, the orange spikes go to like a sort of like teal blue. Oh, that's cool. But because its body is sort of navy, it just it looks so so cool. Nice. Uh, like I think if if they introduce shinies into Snap, they need to put Gigalith in. The secret side path just really opened my mind up to all the different things the game could do. I mean, I obviously I want to see more shrinking on courses, but well, we could run courses backwards. That would breathe a ton of new life into them. Absolutely. I mean, even the fact that alternate paths exist just show how the same course can be so so different with just a minor shift in direction. Yeah. If you if you could run courses backwards and experience things in reverse, well, it's not necessarily in reverse either because if the Pokemon are still on the same script, then you can experiment that in a way. And like, say, Florio is probably the easiest one. Mm-hmm. So Pidgeot's at the start. If you start at the back, Pidgeot's not there yet. But Florges is there two minutes before you're supposed to get there. So what's Florges doing? And by right. the time you reach the, the Buffalant at the end, what are they up to now? I mean, that's yeah. a great idea. And then you've got like the Pidgeot and the Dodrio disrupting things. But what are all those Pokemon doing before they got interrupted? You know, exactly. Kind of stuff. Maybe there's Pokemon that were there that weren't that that had run away before you even got there. So that would it'd be, be really cool. cool. It'd be cool as well because um, each island has its own sort of theme. Like Bella Silva has Elsewhere Forest, Found Jungle, and now Mighty Wide River. If hypothetically speaking, they were to add more courses to those, they could. This is very ambitious, but it depends on how much they want to actually put into this. Start sort of making the thematic connections between each each course on a, in a certain part of the region more apparent. I spoke mm-hmm. about Pidgeot in Florio Nature Park early on and how Secret Side Path contextualized, contextualized the fact that Pidgeot lives there. Yeah. If there are, you know, one or two or three more courses on any given island, that feature exists in Pokemon they can continue to build on that Pokemon's personality based on how they behave on previous courses. And if they're on a new one, yeah, sure, it might be... If it's on Veluca Island, it might be a different Luxray to the one in Fireflow Volcano. But maybe it's not a different one. And it, it just adds so much more to it because behavior is what really carries Snap. Mm-hmm. And if they were to make these connections even more apparent and add more weight to them... I think that that would also make it more replayable and, you know, just much more cohesive in the long run. But I do think of all the ideas we've discussed, shinies are definitely the best. Yeah. I I I really love every time that the game makes you feel like this is the natural habitat of the Pokemon and not that they were put there for you to take pictures of. So every course and every opportunity where I'm like, actually feel like a nature photographer looking at these Pokemon doing just what they would do. Those are my favorite moments. And I think that's why Secret Side Path really stands out because it just feels like such a natural environment. It's so funny when you put it like that because it's obviously true, but then you think of Outaway Cave where Gengar just scares the shit out of every other Pokemon. And you're like, <laughs> does this guy just do this all day long every <laughs> single day? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> 
yeah, it, it does feel, I don't think there's a single instance in this where it doesn't feel like you're the intruder. Right. Not in an overly invasive way. I don't think most of the Pokemon don't care you're there, but it is very obvious that you are in their habitat. They are not put here for you to photograph. So that is th- th- probably part of what makes it special though. Yeah. Yeah. Great game. Uh, can't wait to see more. I know it'll have to end at some point um, because that's just how, I mean, it's not a live service game, obviously. Make it uh, one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it should be new Pokemon snap live. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's our show for the week. Thank you all so much for joining us, uh, and we'll see you next week. 